Good morning, church family. Y'all ready to worship as we get battle ready? Let's shout it out. To the King of glory and light, all praises. To the only giver of life, our maker. The gates are open wide, we worship you. Come see what love has done, it's amazing. He bought us with his blood, our Savior. The cross is overcome, we worship you. Come on, church. And we shout, Hosanna, Jesus, he saves. Shout, Hosanna, he rose from the grave. Saints cry out, we worship you, yes, we worship you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Westgate. How are we doing this morning? 
Yeah? Got some woos over here. Has it stopped raining? Doesn't matter when you don't have hair. You just do this when you walk outside. Just, just a recommendation for us bald guys. All right. Hey, welcome. My name is Steve Fisher. I'm the pastor of uh, student ministries here at the church, working with our high school students and get to welcome you and uh, talk to you a little about our church. But if you're new, hey, thanks for coming out and worshiping with us this morning uh, and seeing what we're about. We'd love to connect with you. In your front of your pews, you're going to see just some connect cards. Uh, we'd love for actually anyone to fill those out and you can put your prayer request on those and we read through those as a staff and elder and pray for you each week. Uh, but then also, if you're new, if you take that, right out here by our main uh, lobby and main doors, we have a little just guest center. Would love to meet you personally, uh, be able to answer any questions you might have about the church, um, and just, yeah, say hello. So, uh, love for you to do that. You can also fill that out online if you have our app. Yes, we have an app. If you didn't know this, it's it's really great. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you can go to the App Store, type in Westgate Chapel Toledo. You'll pull it up, a nice little blue little icon there that says Westgate Chapel. And then you can connect and do sermon notes on there, and they store those. So instead of like, hey, what did Rob talk about three weeks ago, and I'm trying to find that note that I wrote, it's all right there on your phone. Amazing tool. Also allows you to sign up for um, Bible studies and classes, and we have all of those coming up here. And so you can go on that app and see all the things that are offered. You can sign up for different Bible studies, men's and women's Bible studies that are launching here very soon, as well as classes coming up. Um, and so would love to have you do that. Uh, if you're new, next week we actually have what we call a new people party uh, in the refinery right out here to, as you walk out the doors to your right. It's our kind of right off the atrium, our big room where we run high school Sunday morning and then kids ministries in there right now. But next week at noon after first service, we have a new people party. That means we have pizza, salad, fruit, all that type of good stuff, some drinks. If you're new to the church, we would love for you to come. It's an hour long. You don't have to sign your life away or anything like that. Just show up, uh, meet some of our staff. Our staff will be there, our pastors. Um, say hello to some maybe new people that are also new at the church. It's a great time to just connect and hear a little more about our church. We would love to have you there next week after this service um, on Sunday in the refinery. And then lastly, um, we have fall kickoff for kids and student ministry coming up. So I want to tell you just a quick story and then hopefully uh, make a point here. Um, four years ago, I came back to Toledo. I had grown up here in the south end of Toledo for 20 plus years of my life and then had moved away for college. And then I was pastoring in a church in New Jersey as a student ministry pastor there. And so I was gone for about 14 years. And as some of our family dynamics changed and we moved back um, and, and found a house and then God graciously giving us jobs and us coming here to Westgate, which is such a blessing, we found people saying things, especially to me, like, oh, welcome back. Isn't it good to be home? All of these type of things. But in the beginning, it was actually very difficult because what I had known when I was 20 had drastically changed, right? I had been gone for a while and then coming back. And so this community was all new to me. The, even the roads had changed. And some of the things that I joke about, if you're ever on the, if you grow up in the South End, on the trail and South Street, there was an old carryout at big bright lights that said ice cold beer. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. It had been there forever. And I come back and I'm like, it's not there. 
Like, what? What did I come back into? And so there's always these seasons of life, right, where when we have to kind of enter back into things, sometimes it's tough. And if we've been out of it for a while, it's hard to feel like we belong. Can I make the connection to our church? Often, when we are not plugged into our church on a consistent basis, when we're not plugged into the people, the ministries that are going on, we can often feel disconnected. And then we come back, and through no fault of the people, we're like, I'm not connected. I don't feel like I belong. I see this with kids in student ministry all the time, in that there's so many other things pulling for a kid's and a student's attention, pulling for your attention, that sometimes church gets pushed to the back burner. And then a kid or a student comes to a Monday night. We're kicking off next week at Sky Zone, and we've rented the building out. It's going to be amazing. Kids ministry is kicking off next month on the 21st on Wednesday. But a kid, a student comes, and they're like, ah, I don't know if I fit here. I don't know if I belong. And so then maybe as a parent, you encourage, well, try it again. And so then in six weeks, you try it again. But it still doesn't feel right. It still kind of feels different and odd. It's because we actually have to put time into connecting to belonging. Just like now, I feel very much like, oh yeah, I grew up in Toledo. I know now Sylvania and Springfield better. Yeah, no more ice cold beer sign, right? I have a community of people that I know that care about me. The same thing is true for our kids and our students. And so can I encourage you as a parent in the room, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, someone who influences kids and students, for some of you kids and students, make church a priority. Make the people of God a priority. They will encourage you in your walk. They will show you what it looks like to live out your faith on a daily basis. You will get a deep sense of belonging and community. For so many of you here, that's why you stay here at church, at Westgate, right? You have a deep sense of community of people walking with you. And so our kids and our students are kicking off We'd love to have them out there. And then the last thing, we would love if you maybe have been thinking, how can I serve the church? How can I take the gifts and talents that God has given me and use them for the betterment, the edification, the encouragement of those around me? Our kids and our student ministries have tons of opportunities for you uh, to come in and serve in that way. And so... Marlena, our kids' ministry director, and myself and Dan will be out in by the W Cafe at the end of the service. If you'd like to stop by, I've got a little table with some postcards even of ways that you can serve. You can be a person that serves the church, serves the kids and students that not only gets to show them who Christ is, you yourself can be the person that helps connect them to make them feel like I belong here, that when I come into Westgate, I'm home. And that's such a powerful feeling to be able to give our kids and our students. We'd love to invite you into that. If you've been thinking about ways to serve or maybe you just love kids and students, I'd uh, love to talk to you about that. With that, would you pray with me? And we're going to get back into some music. Dear God, um, even as it rains outside and, and I was um, just getting ready for teaching Sunday school class this morning, doing, doing up front here, just was reminded of you being our true shelter, um, that it talks about taking shelter in the shadow of the Almighty. And how as I walked into the church building and I got out of the rain and the thunder, how that was just such a tangible, real example of you covering me in my life. And you do that in so many areas, often when we don't realize it.
And so as we come together as a community, those professing faith in you, maybe for some just questioning, looking, man, would, for those of us that believe, would we sing out the praise to you, the honor to you uh, for what you've given us uh, as we search, as we look for you. It says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. So would we find you this morning as we look to you in your name, amen. 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 And we're going to do a new song this morning. Um, it's called Battle Belongs. But before we get into that, I um, just want to ask you all a question. Have you ever encountered an obstacle in your life? Every hand should go up there. Just <laughs> if you've never encountered obstacles, you got to tell us your secret later. Um, but it, we've all encountered these obstacles. We, uh, How many of you encountered just maybe something that felt it wasn't just an obstacle. You felt like it was something insurmountable, something that you couldn't overcome by yourself, right? Yeah. The reality is, I think we've all encountered those obstacles. We've all encountered those things. And maybe there's some of you in here right now that you're, you have an obstacle like that in your path right now. You have something that feels so big, so bad that you can't possibly do it. Maybe that's you here this morning. And I'm not going to sit here and give you this motivational speech and say, hey, you got this. You can do it. But the reality is you can't. You are incapable of overcoming those obstacles on your own. I mean, not what you want to hear. But it's the truth. Because time after time, God allows us, God allows us to endure really, really hard things because guess what, guys and gals? He wants us to surrender to him because you are not good enough at overcoming these obstacles, but guess who is? God. God is bigger than these obstacles. God is bigger than disease. God is bigger than job loss. God is bigger than death. He's proven that. Can I get an amen there? Now, through his power, we overcome. But guess what? It's still God. God deserves the credit. God deserves the victory, right? It's not us. It's through him we get to experience victory. It's through him we get to experience overcoming. And there are many, many scriptures here. Many, many scriptures that prove and that talk about God's greatness, his might, how he overcomes these obstacles, how he overcomes the most dire of circumstances. Because that's who my God is. That's who your God is. It may not feel like it right now. It may not feel like it in the past. It may not feel like it in the future. But that's who God is. I'm just going to read these. These are just four verses right here. Again, there's a lot more. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. And just a little background here. The Israelites, we see many, many times throughout the Old Testament, they were encountering an army they felt like they couldn't, they couldn't overcome. Again, hope that sounds familiar. They, they, they couldn't overcome this army. And he said, and he being the Spirit of God, said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
1 Samuel 17, verse 47 says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Proverbs 21, 31, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Romans 8, 37, I'm going to end with this one. Again, a lot more here. But know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.
before you. You are our creator, God. You created all things, Father. Thank you so much that you give us all we need for every moment. But Lord, I pray that that we would recognize our need for you. Lord, that we would empty ourselves of striving, of pride, of everything um, that lies to us to make us think we can do things in our own strength. Lord, we just space with yourself, with more of you. We just give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good. It is good to be together. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be wrapping up our series in Ephesians 6, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, this morning, I've got a few things uh, that I uh, just want to share with you before we uh, jump into the message this morning, but we will be uh, together again in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, the one thing that I want to point out, if you received your uh, sermon notes on your way in this morning, would encourage you uh, to take uh, not only a look at those, but inside you'll find a couple of different handouts, uh, one handy-dandy one there about the different adult classes that are coming up this fall. Please be sure uh, to check those out. I actually told Kendra, our uh, uh, spiritual uh, growth director that she, uh, the lineup that she has for classes, I wish I wasn't preaching so I could literally sit in every single one of them. I am pumped about the lineup of classes. So be sure to check that out. But the other card that is in there is entitled Ask the Pastors. And about this time last year, we had a service that was entitled Ask the Pastors where we gave you as a congregation the opportunity 
opportunity to ask uh, us any question that was on your mind that had to do with theology, the Bible, uh, the church. We want to take a service where we uh, spend some time going through questions that you might have. And so we want to encourage you uh, to take a moment. That's going to be in two weeks. We're going to have this service two weeks from today to take some time to think about what questions you have about faith, theology, or the Bible. You can write them here on this form or as Pastor Steve uh, said so well this morning, uh, the easiest way to do it is on your app on the phone, the Westgate Chapel app. Uh, Again, if you have never downloaded that app, it is a great way to stay connected here at the church. Uh, You can find it on your uh, your different app stores, uh, iPhone or uh, on the Android. Um, But you can can go, you can look for Westgate Chapel Toledo, download it, and on the main screen, if you have it, you'll see right under the welcome, it says, Ask the Pastors. You can click on that picture and submit a question there. They are anonymous uh, unless you put your name on it. And so feel free uh, to send those in. And uh, in two weeks, we are going to be excited to have this time as our pastors come on stage and answer your questions. So please be sure uh, to check that out and participate with that over the next few weeks. Uh, And then uh, this morning, as we dive into our message, I wanted to begin by asking you a question. Now, how many people in this room would consider themselves to be car people? Anybody here like a car person, not like, you know, hey, I love my Honda Civic kind of person, right? Uh, or, or my beater or whatever it may be, right? But how, would you consider yourself to be a car person? Like you love good cars, classic cars. You like the specs of cars. Good. If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along with me this morning on this. But uh, I wanted to ask you a question. If I were to buy you the car of your dreams, note, not an electric vehicle. Just go with me. We're not doing the Tesla thing. If that's your favorite thing, you got to get better taste. All right. If I were to buy you the car of your dreams, what would it be and why? And uh, as we wrestle with that question, you think about that this morning, I actually want to invite one of our deacons up here, uh, Dan Lang. Dan, where are you? Is he in here? There he is, sitting all the way in the back. Would you welcome Dan as he comes uh, forward here this morning? If... uh, if you don't know Dan, Dan is a deacon uh, here at the church. You'll also see him uh, often cooking for one of our picnics. This guy loves food. He is a food connoisseur. And uh, yes, and, and well, I'm not saying that, brother, but he... He, he uh, loves to cook, and so be sure to thank him often. Uh, anytime we do a pig roast, any of that kind of stuff, good, good food. But one of the things about Dan as well is that Dan uh, has, for a number of years in Toledo, has owned a car shop and is a mechanic. And how long has uh, da- uh, Lang Automotive been around again? Uh, we've been in business uh, 54 years. About 54 years. And so Dan is like my go-to guy when I'm in trouble and I need a little bit of help. He's bailed me out a number of times, but he knows far more about cars than I do. So I'm turning to the expert this morning. But Dan, uh, if I could buy you the car of your dreams, not one of those stinking Teslas, but if I could buy you the car of your dreams, what would it be and why? I've never dreamed about a Tesla ever. I'm glad. I'm glad. We're on the same page. All right. So what would that dream car be and why? Uh, it would have to be my one of my bucket list cars, which is, uh, it's a muscle car. It's one of the few that I have not owned. Okay. And um, it's the 69 Chevy Chevelle. 
SS396. Excellent. Look at that. I mean, ooh, you got some applause. Look at these people, right? Now, I went looking for this picture uh, of this car. Now, that's the convertible, not, not, not your style. Let's go back not to the hard top. top. The hard top. Okay. I went looking for this. Now, I'm not a car guy, all right? You know, I'm lucky if I know a Honda from a, okay, I know a Honda from Toyota or Chevy. Okay, but, but I did notice that the 69 has a very different grill from the 70. So, I feel like I learned something important here. But... Why is it that you love this car so much? What is it? Like, what are the specs that, like, you just go, man, I would want this thing? Well, it's a sedan. Okay. So you can really take four people with you comfortably, okay. sort of comfortably. Uh-huh. Left front seat's always comfortable. Always comfortable. Um, you got the 410 rear end, four-speed <laughs> transmission, 396 engine. It's got multiple options with it. You can get the single four-barrel, two four-barrels, three deuces, uh, everything. Layman's terms? It's fast. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, yes. Anybody else in the same boat as me? I'm like, he's rattling these things off, and I'm like, eh, no, 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 whatever. Okay. It's fast. All it's right. It's fast. It's fast. Excellent. Well, this is the car that you, you, would, you would love to own and love to take out, give it a little, little test run. Well, let me ask you this question. If I were to buy this car for you, this beautiful 69 Chevy Chevelle, blah, 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 whatever it was you said, right? If I were to buy that for you. What good would this car be? I mean, if I bought it for you, but it had just one problem, what, would it, how, what good would it be if it didn't have an alternator? It's got everything else you mentioned, but it has no alternator. Well, it would only run for about maybe 20 minutes. For about 20 minutes. After and that, why is that? After that, there's no more power for the battery. No more power for the battery because the alternator is what supplies the power for it to move, right? Right. Right. So I remember when I was in college, I used to deliver pizza. And when I was going out to deliver one day, I was uh, walking out to my car with pizza, threw it in the back seat, jumped in the front, turned on the car. And I was sitting there with a map, right, because we didn't have those fancy phones and apps back then. I had a pager. Didn't do me any good. But uh, so I had this, like, physical map that I was, like, writing out the directions. I was sitting there. All of a sudden, the lights began to dim in my car and, like, dim, like, rise and, and go up and down, up and down. And the radio was on. And it started right and literally I kid you not I thought I was in the middle of spiritual warfare that there were demons in my car like I'm literally the headlights are doing the same thing I'm kind of freaking out only to find out after I got out tried to exercise the demons that really it was just a bad alternator and because the alternator supplies the power to the car excellent would you thank Dan for coming up and sharing with us this morning thank you Dan right yeah, I, I mean, that, I, really, that was my first experience, I thought, with spiritual warfare, but not, not to be true. So uh, the point I want you to catch this morning is this, is that with a car, you can have a car with all of those incredible specs. You can look at it. You can love it. You can think it's the best thing in the world. You can pop open the hood, look at the beauty of the engine and everything that is underneath that hood. But if it doesn't have the alternator, which provides the power for it to run, what is it good for? Nothing. It's good for nothing because it needs that alternator to empower it. I want you to think about this this morning as we think about where we have been in our series. We've been going through a series entitled Battle Ready, looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And in this series, we've been talking about the spiritual battles that we face uh, on a constant basis. We, we've talked about uh, the enemy that we face, how he is far more powerful than us, Satan and all of the spiritual forces of evil that come with him. We've talked about how God gives us all of the resources that we need to overcome him. 
uh, this is the next fill-in in your notes. So I want you to think about all of the resources we talked about, especially last week, that God has given us to experience his power as we face spiritual battle. He's given us things like truth and righteousness, the gospel of peace. He's given us faith. He's given us salvation. He's given us the very word of God. We have all of these resources at our disposal. If you remember last week, he kind of helps us to understand them by tying them to like different pieces of armor that a, a Roman soldier would have worn or as it is described in the Old Testament according to the divine warrior that we talked about last week. We have all of these resources, but Paul is going to make the point this morning as we come to the end of this passage that all of these resources are good and they are for the purposes of overcoming in battle. But there is one essential element, and that's the title of our message this morning. There is one essential element that brings power to the armor of God, and as he will tell us, it is praying in the spirit. And I want us to take a look at that together this morning. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. As we look at this passage, what we begin to recognize is that Paul is helping us to understand that we have been given all of these resources, all of this spiritual armor by God, but there is one essential element that we need. And that element is defined as praying in the spirit. And I want us to wrestle with this question this morning as we dive into the passage is what does it mean to pray in the spirit? What does that actually mean? I don't know about you, but for me growing up in the church, I heard this term before praying in the spirit, but it always seemed kind of mystical, kind of unreachable. Like when people would talk about praying in the spirit, I was like, like, is that, you know, when you're sitting around praying and you know that the spirit showed up because everybody gets goosebumps and a warm feeling kind of moves across the room? Like, is, is that what we're talking about. Uh, I, could, I know that I had heard before uh, from people in other denominations that would say praying in the spirit meant that you were speaking in tongues. And that was a sign and a knowing that you were praying in the spirit. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. I don't, I don't totally get that or understand that. Or sometimes people would define praying in the spirit as like this, just this like really deep place of prayer that you go to where you just release everything to God and you're moving with the spirit and the spirit is moving with, and doesn't that sound strange? Like, like, it feels like something that seems so otherworldly and unreachable and untouchable. And I find that in the church, we have not done a good job of seeking to truly understand what Paul is saying when he says that we should pray in the Spirit. And so I want us to begin by answering this question this morning by looking at the different pieces of it together. Letter A, let's begin here. What we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is given by God to provide believers with power for Christian living. He is the power source for Christian living, the alternator, if you will. When we look in the Old Testament, one of the things that we see is that the Spirit of God was definitely active in the Old Testament, but it seems a little bit less than what we would see in the New Testament. Oftentimes, the Spirit was given 
given, uh, the, the, the spirit was given to a king or to different people and then, and then taken away. We see, though, as we look in the Old Testament, that uh, effective evangelism of the nations was very uncommon. Casting out of demons was unknown. Miraculous healing was uncommon. Prophecy was restricted to a few people. But however, there are many points in the Old Testament where God's people look forward to a time where there would be a greater empowering of the Holy Spirit that would reach all of God's people. And we see this specifically in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And this is what it says. It says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even upon the the men and the women servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. You see, there was a promise throughout the Old Testament that there was a day that would come where God would give his spirit as the empowering person for the Christian life. And we see this begin to take shape in the New Testament. First, when we see Jesus' uh, baptism, and then as he's walking out of uh, his temptations uh, in the desert with, with the devil, as he walks out of the Judean wilderness, it tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 14a, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. In other words, Jesus in his earthly life and ministry, God who became 100%, he became human flesh, lived and found his strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. It tells us that the disciples themselves, as we look, when Jesus is going back into heaven in Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then we see this incredible picture at Pentecost where the disciples, the Holy Spirit falls and they are empowered like has never been seen before. And we have the promise that for all followers of Jesus Christ, people who put their faith in him, that we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit at salvation and we can experience his power in our lives to overcome the battles and the things that we face on a regular basis. And so when we talk about praying in the Spirit, the first thing we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the one that provides that power for Christian living. But letter B, we also need to remember that prayer is the means by which we connect to God and we rely on his strength and his power. Prayer is the essential or I'm sorry, prayer is the essence of spiritual warfare. And it is the, imp- the most important means by which believers are strengthened by God. Notice that Paul doesn't just list uh, praying in the spirit as another piece of armor, another, piece, uh, another weapon that you need in this battle. What he actually does is he sets it apart as the very thing that gives power to the armor and to everything else that we have, every aspect of our lives when we pray in the spirit. And so that gives us at least a little bit of foundational understanding that the Spirit is the one that provides power. Prayer is the means to connect to God and rely on his strength and power. So what then does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And I think to help us to understand that truth, then we need to maybe ask the flip question. Oftentimes we'll see in the Bible that the spirit and the flesh are two opposites that are often compared. And so I think it's helpful for us to ask the question, well, what then does it mean if we were to pray in the flesh as opposed to the spirit? As we think about that this morning, there are four things that I want us to identify. One, to pray in the flesh means to pray without conviction or confession of sin. 
To be someone who goes into the very presence of God and with no conviction, there is no confession of sin that would take place. Now, let me ask this question. Who here owns an instrument of the devil? By that, I mean an iPhone. Anybody here own an iPhone? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, good. I need your iPhone. Can I, can I borrow your iPhone for a second, my brother? I promise to be gentle when I destroy it. Okay. So, um, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Eric, he plays guitar up here every week. I love it. Your iPhone. It's such, a, such an interesting device that you you have here. So, uh, Eric, if I were to take your iPhone from you this morning and just decide that I, I hate iPhones, so I'm going to take it, I'm going to throw it on the ground, I'm going to stomp on it, and I'm going to throw it, and now it's broken and it's good for nothing, how would you feel? Sad. Good. <laughs> Sad. All right. You might be a little upset with me too. How would you feel if I came to you tomorrow and acted like it never happened. Hey, Eric, how are you doing, man? You did a great job playing guitar yesterday. You want to go out for dinner later? Like, you'd kind of look at me like, is he crazy, right? You'd be like, we have this sense of justice that's innately in us, right, as human beings. When somebody does something wrong to us, if they walk up to us and try to act like nothing ever happened, we're like, time out, wait a second, there's a problem here that we've got to solve together, right? So let me ask you this question. When that's true of us, why is that not true when it comes to our sin against God? Why is it that it is so easy for us to have sin against God and for many Christians to even go into the very presence of God and pray and not feel a sense of conviction or a need to confess sin? I find many Christians that fall into this habit and this trap of believing that their sin doesn't matter and that their sin doesn't separate them from God and from his power and so when they enter into the presence of God, they just kind of go on with their list, not thinking about the brokenness that is actually there in the relationship. Think about the words that are, that are found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. It says that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. What is, what is Jesus doing in this passage? He's pointing out that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones who were supposed to have it all together, they were super popular with the population. The one that everybody would look up to is the model. He says, you know, the deepest problem that resides within their heart is that they can actually stand before me and proclaim how good they are and yet be completely blind to the sin that is in their life. How can that be possible for someone that is connected to the very spirit of God? What does Jesus do? He goes on in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, and he says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
One of Jesus' major beefs with the religious leaders of that day is that they could walk around like everything was great on the outside and yet be completely dead on the inside. You know, I walked up to my trash can last night to throw some stuff away. I think I got within three or four feet and there was this stench that was emanating from it as it was closed, it was unbearable. I even opened up the lid to throw the trash and I had to turn my head, I mean, it was awful. How much sense would it have made though if I was like, oh, I gotta fix this problem. So I run inside the house and I grab myself one of those white, you know, magic erasers that take away everything, by the way, they're magical, I love them. But I grab a bunch of those, I walk outside, I get the hose and I start cleaning the outside of the trash can, get that thing like spit shined, it's beautiful. And I put it out on the curb, like what good would that do to actually solve the problem? Nothing. If you were to come over to my house, you might step out of your car and still be like, wow, look at that thing. It's shining. That's the best looking trash can I've ever seen. And yet there is still something dead, dying, decaying on the inside. This is a picture of what Jesus says was true of the religious leaders. And there's a danger that we face of being those who pray in the flesh, not in the spirit those who pray without conviction or confession of sin. Because when we sin, we separate ourselves from God and his power in our lives. And when we approach him as though nothing has gone wrong or anything has happened, we lie to ourselves. We believe the lies of Satan. We break the relationship that exists between us and God. And I think it's important for us to understand a couple of things here. That the separation that exists between us and God because of sin isn't necessarily punitive by God. I don't want you to think also that God doesn't answer prayer if we have sin in our lives. But the point that I'm making is that what we do is we cut ourselves off from God and also from his power when we live with sin, accepting it and not confessing it before the Lord. The Bible describes this as quenching the spirit. It's the idea that you've got like this hose of the Holy Spirit. What it would mean to pray in the flesh would be that we go to God and we are good with our sin, even ignoring how God views it and thus quenching the move of the power of the Spirit within us. So obviously that wasn't your phone. You're not freaking out too much. I'll give this instrument of the devil back to you. Thank you. iPhone. I know somebody's going to tell me after the service, but Pastor Rob, you're preaching off an iPad. I blessed it with holy water. Okay, so um, just kidding. That's a joke. Okay, so um, quenching the spirit. Number two, though, another way that we often pray in the flesh is that we pray with impure or wrong motives. Now, one way that we do this is that we often treat prayer as though it is a Christmas list, right? We sit and all we do is we just make a long list of things that we want or things that we need or maybe that other people want or other people need and we look at Santa as though he's a fat man in a red suit or he's a genie in a bottle, right? He's just the person that's there to give us stuff. And I think there's a danger in seeing prayer that way. The biggest danger is that often what we end up doing is we put ourselves in the position of God, right? that we have things that we want and we desire, and if he doesn't provide for us, he's in trouble or we don't like him anymore. And you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's possible for us to pray with impure or wrong motives. Another example of this is also seen in Matthew chapter six, verses five through six, as Jesus again talks about the religious leaders. The impure motives that they are wrestling with is that they were praying for the benefit of themselves, that people would look at them 
as holy and pious and great. Look at what he says. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's a synonym for the Pharisees. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, they had this issue of their motive was that they would pray, especially in public places, and the idea was that people would look at them as someone who is really great and really good. I can remember when I was a young kid, uh, my dad was helping to plan a church, and I went into some prayer meetings with him. He would bring me along, which I think was great, very formative for me as a young, uh, young boy growing up in the church to see men modeling what it means to pray. But I remember sitting there, and one of the things that they would do when they would pray, there would be different guys around the room that would be like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, all those kind of things. And so I just wanted to emulate what I saw. And I also wanted to be seen as one of the spiritual people in the room as just a young little tot. And so, like, I just remember sitting there one day and they were praying and I just started going, yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. And, and so, you know, my dad's like turning and looking at me like, what is he doing, you know? Because for me, it was all about the, the picture and the benefit of, of how I was viewed. I, I simply say that because it can be very easy, easy for us, even as adults and as Christians or youth or young people, to fall into the habit that when we pray, especially in a public place, that it becomes about what others think about what we're saying like our conversation is with them. But the truth is, is when we pray, we must remind ourselves consistently our conversation isn't with other people. It is with God and God alone. We must check our hearts in this way because to pray in the flesh is to pray with impure wrong motives. A third way that we can pray in the flesh is to think our prayers are what hold the power. Now, I've, I've known many people that struggle with prayer because they feel like they aren't eloquent enough they don't have the right words. They don't have enough words. They don't like to pray in public and even at times struggle with praying in private. And I'm positive that there are many people in this room that would say either I've been there in my life or I'm still sitting there. And it's easy to get discouraged when you feel that way, when you look at other people who it seems so easily pray on end, full of powerful Christian cliches that we know that when they pray, it touches the heart of God. And we know that it touches the heart of God because the goosebumps start rising and the warm feeling moves through the room, right? You've heard those types of prayers before full of cliche. Oh, Father, we thank you for this day. Father, Father, you are high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all things. We come to you now knowing that when you close a door, you open a window. No matter what happens, I know that I'm never more safe than when I'm in the center of your will. So I will choose to let go and let you, God. For I know, Father, you'll never give me more than I can handle. And you will help me when I help myself. Now, thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless it to our bodies. I have no idea what that means. I don't know how you're going to do it, but Lord, we trust in you. Father, change the molecular structure of this food we're about to eat. Turn this fat burger into carrots and low-fat ranch. Transubstantiate it down in my body. May the spirit of the low-carb rain down on us now. We pray a hedge of protection around our pancreas. Amen. And we hear, it may not go exactly like that, but we, we listen to people's prayers at times. And we think to ourselves, man, I could never pull that off. Thank God for Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes we think that our prayers 
kind of words that we use, the eloquence of our words, the passion of our words. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that that's what holds the power. And that can be a discouragement for people. Don't feel like they can pull that off. Can I tell you that Matthew 6 should be a resting place for you? That God actually looks and he says, people that heap up empty phrases, that think that their words are what matter, that's not what matters. God just simply, as we'll see this morning, wants to hear our hearts. Another way that we often can pray in the flesh also, number four, is to half-heartedly pray because it's the Christian thing that we do. You know, it's the times where we just decide like, hey, I've got a problem, something's going on in my life, I just need to throw up a prayer to God and hope that something gets done, hope that he answers. My heart's not really in it, but it's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm thinking of the words in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, where Jesus also says, quoting the Old Testament, he says that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you, do you see some of the things that when we talk about praying in the flesh, like where the emphasis is coming from, that there's something here about the heart that matters more than anything else? So if this is what it looks like for us to pray in the flesh, to pray without conviction or confession of sin, to pray with impure wrong motives, to think that our prayers are what hold the power or to half-heartedly pray because it's the Christian thing to do, what then would it mean to pray in the spirit? What would be the opposite of that? Number one, I believe that as we look in scripture, that to pray in the spirit means to humbly seek God with a clear heart and conscience. Luke 18 verses 13 through 14, the continuation of the passage where I referenced the uh, Pharisee who stood in his prayers thinking about how great he is compared to other people, ignoring the sin in his life. What does Jesus say about this tax collector? Remember the tax collector, the person that was hated by the general population? He was the one that would steal from people, take their money, like they, he had nobody that truly liked him. It says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, this statement that Jesus makes about the Pharisee and tax collector would have slapped the religious people of that day in the face. Your great men who stand before you as the pillar of what to look at are horribly rotting on the inside. And yet this man who steals from you, who stands far off, he's the one that will be justified. Why? Because as he stands before a holy God, he recognizes the depth of his need for God because his heart is soft. He recognizes that in and of himself, he has failed God and he needs God. And so he yields himself saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. When we pray in the spirit, we approach God humbly, either with a clear heart and conscience or seeking a clean heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, Jesus makes the importance of this so clear. His desire that when we come before his presence, that we would we would come not thinking just how great we are, but in humility, seeking to make sure that our hearts are right with God. He makes it so clear that he literally says here, he says, if you are offering your gift, your worship at the altar, 
And there remember that your brother has something against you. Get up, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He literally says, like if you have come, let's just use a modern day analogy here to church to bow down and to worship and to give God glory. And you recognize that there is something wrong. There is some sin. There is some brokenness between you and another brother. He literally says the greatest act of worship that you can do is to leave your gift to go and to get things right with that brother. What a greater act of worship before you come. Why? Because it shows a picture that our eyes are not blinded to our sin or to things that we've done wrong, that we're believing Satan saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but we're actually coming to God with a humble heart saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I need to get right with you and right with other people. You see, the beauty of your gift of worship is magnified by the condition of your heart before God. And that is what matters most. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? To humbly seek God with a clear heart and conscience. Number two, to pray with a heart that is focused on the will of God. Not on my will, not the things that I desire, not my laundry list of things that I need, but to pray with a heart that is focused on the will of God. It was Oswald Chambers who said these words. He said, prayer is not a normal part of the life of a natural man. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray, but I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. Prayer is the way that the life of God is nourished in us. Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. We, we look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we would know God, that we would worship God, that we would surrender to God, and thus experience his power in our lives as we glorify him and join him in the battle against the spiritual forces of evil and participate in his mission of reaching lost people. You see, to pray in the spirit is to pray with a heart that is focused towards the will of God, understanding that the purpose of prayer is to change and to transform our hearts and to conform our hearts to the very will and purposes of God. As well, number three, praying in the spirit is is to know that the Holy Spirit is the one that provides the power. It is not us. It is not the words or the intonation or the cadence of our prayers or the passion with which we pray, but it is the very spirit of God that provides that power. And what hope there is in that statement. When you feel overcome by the world, when you feel like you aren't enough, when you feel like you're in a losing battle, you are not alone God has given you his very Holy Spirit to give you everything that you need to overcome the temptation that you face, the chains that you find yourself in, the trials that you walk through, and the difficulty of the mission that God has called us to. You have everything you need to take ground from Satan and to be victorious in this life. He literally says, as Pastor Adam mentioned this morning, that you are, you are more than conquerors through Christ, that you literally, the Greek, super conquerors, you can overcome completely through the power of the Holy Spirit. And number four, to pray in the Spirit means to have your heart 
invested in seeking God. And I believe that this is very beautifully portrayed for us in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and it is he that will lift you up. You see, praying in the spirit is not about words. It's not about eloquence. It's not a mystical practice. It's not about a cadence of volume or a pacing. The bottom line is that praying in the spirit is a heart posture. And it flows out of what we see in scripture. Praying in the spirit is a heart posture. Sometimes it's eloquent. Sometimes it's incredibly messy. Sometimes it's silent. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes it's short. But it is always humble. And it is always about God. To pray in the spirit is to humbly come before the Lord, seeking him and his will for our lives and his power, which comes through the Holy Spirit. And Paul gives us now very clear instructions for how praying in the spirit should actually look in our lives. Follow along with me, letter A in your notes. He says that basically letter A, what we need to do is we need to do more than just pray when times are difficult. In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions, every occasion, not just when times are difficult, but at every single moment. It's recognizing when we pray in all occasions, it's recognizing that we are always in a spiritual battle and we need the spirit's strength and his power to overcome. Because when we go through trials and when we go through temptations and even when we are in times of peace, I have found personally that even when I think things are great, it's usually an indication that things are about to go very wrong. Anybody throw me an amen? There have been so many times in my life where I like sit back and go like, man, how could life get any better? Like everything's great at home, everything's great at work. Like life just seems to be rolling. And the moment that I begin to rest back on my laurels, like mess is right around the corner. I have found it every single time. And I often have wondered why. Why does it seem that those times of peace seem to last like for such short moments? I honestly believe because that's when Satan looks at us and goes, they're not ready. Because we're so good at going to prayer and going to God when life seems to be falling off the rails, when things aren't going our way, when we find ourselves struggling, we go to God, we go to him in prayer. But when life seems to get good, it's easy for us to rest back on our laurels and think, everything's good now. I can just kind of relax. But Paul says, pray in the spirit on all occasions, in all moments, in all seasons of life. He also says, let her be that our prayer life should be alive and active and not stagnant. He continues in verse 18 and he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Not just prayers for self but prayers for others, not just a list of needs, but prayers for strength to overcome the spiritual battles that we face. Long prayers, short prayers, moment by moment prayers as we walk through our day. Intercessory prayer, fasting and praying, there are all different types of praying that takes place 
in our lives as we consistently seek God and his strength and power. And I just want to pause for a minute on one of these pieces because it's one that I think has really touched me over the last many, many months. Pastor uh, Adam just shared with us in a message uh, in our Abide series about fasting and praying. Uh, It was really hard for me actually to give that sermon up to Adam because it's something that the Lord had been working in my own heart uh, with, with. And one of the things that I recognize is God has given us all different types of prayers for all different types of purposes. I remember reading in scripture uh, that it talks about how Jesus' disciples came to him one day. They had been out. They had been uh, casting out demons, and they came to him. And one of the difficulties they're having is that they were trying to cast out demons, but it wasn't working in this one uh, particular instance. And they're like, we don't get it. What's going on? And Jesus' instruction back to them is what? Well, well, some of these take, take fasting and prayer in order for it to work and to be successful. And it's interesting because I've been thinking about that in my own life. I've always understood fasting, like from a biblical theological perspective, but I'm not sure that I've always been able to grasp and really understand its importance, especially in the area of spiritual warfare. And I'll tell you that uh, over uh, 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 a few months ago, I was really struggling in my own personal life with like certain attitudes and ways that I was treating people. And uh, as I was thinking about it, and I felt like I was stuck in a rut and I couldn't get out of it. And I remember uh, I went to life group with uh, our friends and uh, just so happened that that evening, as I was wrestling with this in my own heart and mind, that uh, my buddy Mike uh, had put on a video for us that we were going to watch by Tony Evans that was on fasting. And I remember sitting there trying to like hold back because I didn't want people to see the emotional thing that was going on inside of me as I'm like beginning to tear up as I'm literally hearing the voice of God speaking. And I committed myself that that next week that I was going to take time to fast because I wanted freedom from what I was struggling with. And so I spent that next week on a fast and seeking God. And in the moments where I'd become hungry, it was just a reminder to continue to go back to God and to pray, Lord, I want freedom from this area of my life. I'm giving up these things because I want you to understand how desperately I want you, how desperately I need you. And I want to tell you that like I walked out of that experience feeling this overwhelming sense of freedom that God had given me in this area of my life. And I think oftentimes we don't recognize just all of the tools that God has given us. When Paul talks about different types of prayer and different ways of seeking God and experiencing his power, sometimes there are things that we just don't recognize how important they are. And I want to tell you that this morning because if you find yourself in that place wrestling with sin, if you find yourself feeling stuck, like I can't break free, I've tried everything that I possibly can, I've even thrown up some prayers to the Lord, I'd encourage you to consider that God has given us so many ways to tap into the power of his spirit and fasting and praying and seeking God is one of those that I believe he uses in moments of spiritual warfare to break us free and to help us to find freedom in him. Our prayer life should be alive and active, not stagnant, using all sorts of prayers and requests, but let her see also we should consistently live in a posture of prayer and dependence upon God. Ephesians 6, 18, he says, with this in mind, be alert, always keeping on, keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. He wants us to understand that the battle never stops, that we should always be alert, that we should be in a posture of prayer and dependence upon God, knowing that the Bible tells us that our enemy is like a prowling lion seeking for someone to devour, constantly active, looking for the opportunity to 
quench and to stop the work of God in our lives. Because if he can do that, he can quench and stop the work of God in the church. And then he can stop the mission of God. And that is how he acts and seeks to act. We need to be those that live in a posture of prayer and dependence upon God. Being alert. And letter D, our prayers should be engaged as well within the mission of God. And listen to, the, to, to what Paul says. He says our prayers are in Ephesians 6, 18 to 19, keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You know, one of the things that I feel like I learned on our mission trip to Mongolia over these past couple of weeks and with the Burge events, there are a couple of things that I believe God was teaching me. And one of those is the importance of praying and asking God to consistently provide opportunity as we seek to be on mission with him. Uh, I won't share the whole story because we'll be sharing some uh, next week as we give an update on this trip with you. But uh, I can remember that our trip, uh, the plans for what we thought we were going to do kind of got changed. We weren't sure exactly what was going to happen and what we were going to do. But I can remember going into the trip. I was just burdened to continue to pray, God, would you please provide us with opportunities to share Jesus with people that don't know you? I just was pleading with him, Lord, would you provide those opportunities? We don't know what's going to happen, but Lord, would you give those to us? And I want to tell you something. The Lord answered those requests before we ever got to Mongolia. Literally every single one of our team members had the opportunity to interact with someone that didn't know Jesus. And it wasn't a difficult, like we had to force our way in the door. It was literally in each situation, like the Lord handed out his silver platter and said, here you go. I'm teeing it up for you. It's an easy one. And I want you to understand this truth. I believe that when we seek the Lord, praying in the spirit, asking him to give us opportunities to be a light to others and to share the gospel, that if we're willing to pray that bold prayer that he will answer. And oftentimes we kind of just live our lives going about doing our thing, praying for ourselves. But I think at times rarely praying and saying, God, would you give me opportunities? But I want you to hear this morning, if you're bold enough to pray and ask God that prayer with a sincerity of heart and humility seeking him, I promise you he's gonna provide. And not only is he gonna provide, he's gonna provide you the exact words that you need at the exact moment to share the good news of his son, Jesus. The other thing that I learned is the importance of recognizing that we're in a battle right alongside the people that we have sent out to share the gospel. The Burgevins were sent out from Westgate Chapel about 15 years ago. And when they were sent out, uh, one of the things uh, that I think at times we, we may not recognize is that we think to ourselves, we've sent them out, we send them some money, we try to give them some encouragement, they come back, we love on them for a while, but it's almost like we treat them like that's their mission and we've got our thing here. But what the Lord really was opening up my eyes to when we talk about praying in the spirit and we read the words of Paul is that when we send people out, it's not our mission here and their mission there, but we are an active and need to be an engaged partner in the mission that God has called them to. Do you realize that we actually serve one of the greatest functions for people that we send out from this church in their mission to reach the lost? As they go into a place that is dark, that is difficult, where they are separated from family, that our praying in the spirit on their behalf actually supplies them with the power that they need to overcome the attacks of the evil one, to provide the opportunities that they are looking for to share the gospel, to give them the right words to speak in those moments where God provides. 
I believe that one of the things Paul draws our attention back to is that when we talk about praying, our prayer should be engaged in the very mission of God, not only what we are doing, but in those that we have sent out, supporting them in prayer, recognizing that that is the funnel for the very power of the Spirit of God to move to work and to change lives. And he has invited us in. If there anything that I hope we've learned as we've gone through this series together, it's three things. Number one, we're in a never-ending spiritual battle with an enemy that is far stronger than we are in our humanness. But God has given us every single resource that we need to overcome any temptation or any trial that we may face. And that praying in the Spirit is what provides the power for us that we need to overcome. And it's accessible to everyone. It is not a mystical practice, but it is a reflection of a heart posture that seeks to yield to God. And when we do, we experience his power, not just for living this Christian life, but we are empowered for the mission that he has called us to, to run headlong into the darkness and to take back ground from Satan and the evil one that others would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Would you begin the practice of praying in the very spirit of God and seeking for him to transform your life through his power and to use you for his purposes? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning and the time in your word. And we ask, Lord, that from it you would change and transform our hearts to understand that we are in a battle every day and that our greatest need is you. And so, Father, as we seek you, as we yield ourselves to you, as we confess sin to you, Father, fill us with the power of your spirit to do all that you have called us to do.
Don't let Satan rob that moment that God wants to have with you and his spirit wants to speak into your life. So we'd invite you to come. As well as you leave today, as always, thank you for your faithful giving to Westgate Chapel and our ministries. You can do so as you leave in the buckets that are at the back. And lastly, I just encourage you as you go from here today, continue to mill through Ephesians chapter six. Remind yourself consistently of the spiritual battle that we're in every single day, whether things are good or things are difficult. There's an enemy that is always looking for an opportunity to trip us up in our walk with the Lord and to rob what God intends for us. And so dive headlong into that and learn what it means to be those who pray in the spirit and experience the power of the spirit of God moving in and through your life to not only transform your personal heart and life, but also to use you powerfully to reach other people for the gospel. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. May you go in the power and spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great week.